0: In the ancient, like in the ancient Greek plays, the word for stage actors uh, was hypokrites. Uh, these were the individuals who would take stage wearing a mask to disguise who they were and to play the part of someone other than who they really were. And it's where we get the word in English for hypocrite. The reality is many of us uh, put on a mask in our lives, uh, with parts of our lives. We often don't like people to see us for who we really are, uh, and so what we do is try to hide that from people. Uh, it reminds me of a poem by T.S. Eliot, uh, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. I still remember my professor reading this to us uh, at Southwest Texas, and there's a, a statement in there. There's a few lines where he says, There will be time, there will be time, time to prepare a face to meet the faces that you meet. There will be time to murder and create. And J. Alfred Prufrock in the poem is thinking about a time where he's going to be around others and thinking about taking the time uh, to put on a new face, put on a face, someone other than who he really is before he gathers around them. Time to kind of murder his true self so that he can create A self that he thinks other people would prefer to see. If we're honest, church, we can easily fall into this pattern concerning our faith. And there is a level of hypocrisy to that. And Jesus addresses religious hypocrisy in our text today. Uh, he has a word for the religious hypocrites of His day, and it has an important message for us too. Uh, the title of our sermon is Jesus, the Savior who came to free us from our hypocrisy. He's the Savior who came to free us from our hypocrisy. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read the text and pray for us. Luke eleven, starting in verse thirty seven, as he was speaking, a Pharisee asked to dine with asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish. But inside are full, you are full of greed and evil. Fools, didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, you give a tenth of mint and rue and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and the love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the front seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. You are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them and don't know it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. Then he said, Woe to you, experts in the law. You load people down with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you! You build tombs for the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Therefore, you are witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their monuments. Because of this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute. So that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. Woe to you experts in the law. You have taken away the key to knowledge and you didn't go in yourselves And you hindered those who were trying to go in. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely and to cross-examine him about many things. They were lying in wait for him to trap him in something that he said. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word And today, we confess it, again, as we do each Sunday, as true and necessary for us. And God, I pray that you will help us see, help us understand the truth of your Word, and help our lives be changed because of it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in confronting religious hypocrisy, there's two different kind of groups of religious hypocrisy that Jesus is going to address to these groups. What we're going to see is not only the behavior that Christ is concerned about, but also see some really important truths about our Savior. We're going to see some really important things about Jesus in these texts and in these uh, words that he has concerning religious hypocrisy. So the first thing that we're going to see is this. Jesus came to give us a new heart. Jesus came to give us a new heart. And so the first type of religious hypocrisy that Jesus addresses with the Pharisees is that of focusing on outward religion, focusing on kind of the outward performance while ignoring the issues of the heart, while ignoring sin going on on the inside, completely dismissing things that God desires, while trying to look the part and play the part. And with that, we want to be reminded that Jesus came to give us a new heart. And so let's look back at verse 37 to 44 in his exchange with the Pharisee. The Pharisees, as he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools, didn't he who make the outside make the inside too? But give from within, or give from what is within to the poor. And then everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees. You give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb. And you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the front seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace. Woe. To you, you are like unmarked graves and the people walk over them and don't know it. So a Pharisee invites Jesus in to have a meal with him and ask him if he would come in and dine with him. And the Pharisee notices Jesus goes straight in and sits at the table and reclines at the table prepared to eat. And he is amazed that Jesus did not go through a ritualistic washing that many of the Jews did, that the Pharisees certainly held to. Now it's important that we know that this ritualistic washing that they are referencing here was not part of God's law. God had laws about... Uh, keeping yourselves clean. The washing that is discussed here is one of the traditions that the Jews had built up in order to say, we want to show that we actually care about remaining clean. And so they had this whole uh, ceremony that they would do before every meal to say, see, we are making sure that we're remaining clean, that we're not going to contaminate ourselves with impure hands and Jesus goes in sits down ready for the meal and does not go through with the tradition that the rest of the Jews would have done now this wasn't a uh, a slip this wasn't a like oh yeah I forgot to do that this wasn't like when your kids you're like, did you wash your hands before dinner no okay we'll go do that this, Jesus was intentional in this He was going to use this as an opportunity to teach because he has just finished speaking on that it is important for people to make sure that the truth that they have, the things that they've held on to as true, is actually the truth, that it's actually light. He said, make sure that what's inside of you is not darkness. Make sure that you don't have some distorted view of who I am and what it means to follow me. And so Jesus steps into this situation and is going to confront an area of these religious elites where there is darkness in them, but they believe this to be good. They believe this to be light. And so Jesus knows that the man is bothered. Being the divine Son of God who knows all things, He knows that this Pharisee is upset that he didn't go through with the ritualistic washing. And he speaks to all the Pharisees that were there. You know, you Pharisees, you do a really good job of focusing on the outside. You do a really good job of cleaning yourself up on the outside, and yet... You could care less about the sin that's ravaging you on the inside. You could care less about the sin that is controlling you in your heart. And he mentions in verse 39, uh, you're on the inside, you're full of greed, you're full of evil. And he says, don't you see what's wrong with that? The God who cares about your outside certainly would care about the inside too. God wouldn't want you to say, well, we'll focus on this thing that God would desire and we're going to ignore this other. Right? He, he says that God made the outside and the inside. He cares about what's going on in your heart. He cares about the greed that's in there. He cares about the wickedness that is in there. And he says, give from what's within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. Now, that does not mean that giving to the poor is how we justify ourselves. That does not mean that if you're generous to people, then God will say, well, I'll forgive your sins. What he's talking about, he has specifically said about this group of people, you are a greedy people. Greed rules inside of you. And so, if you want to demonstrate that you're actually clean, if you want to demonstrate that you've actually been made right with God, what needs to happen is you your insides need to change. You need to become a generous person, not a greedy person. And that will be proof that you truly have been changed, that you truly are clean, And then he's going to move on into three woes for the Pharisees. These are expressions of sorrow, expressions of grief and regret for the judgment that will come on them because of their refusal to do what God wants them to do. And so the first of these is... The fact that they're willing to tithe faithfully, they're willing to give faithfully to God, yet they ignore the injustice in their world. They ignore the the systems where oppression rules that affects everyone's lives. So they are faithful in their giving and Here, he even lists some of those. You give of mint and rue and every kind of herb. These are actually things that were not required of tithes. So they're tithing beyond what they're supposed to. They're giving to God beyond what they're supposed to. But they ignore the oppression that goes on, that harms people, that causes people to be oppressed. And so he says you should do... Both of these things. You should care about both of these things, not just tithe. So it doesn't say tithing is wrong. We're commanded to give to God. But he says don't give to God and then ignore the things that are broken in this world. Don't ignore the issues that God cares about, the injustice. Don't ignore the love of God that should be changing your lives and changing how you see others. So that's the first expression of grief over what's going on in their lives. is You're faithful givers, but you could care less about injustice. And then the next sorrow that he expresses is, they seem to be concerned about the things of God, but really they're caring more about status. They're really in it for themselves. He says, you care about the front seats in the synagogue. You care about those greetings as you walk down the street, as you walk through the city. People looking at you and saying, man, that's the guy. He's really got it together. He's a really faithful follower of God. He says you you're putting on this performance like you really are caring about following God, but you're in it to elevate yourself. You're in it to have a name for yourself. And then finally tying that all together. He says the refusal to do anything about the the wickedness in your own heart and thinking that it's all about just kind of the outward performance in your life makes you like an unmarked grave. Now that has uh that doesn't make much sense to us, but for the Jews, coming in contact with a grave with someone ceremonially unclean, unable to participate in worship, uh unable to participate in the community of others because of their uh them being ceremonially unclean. And so it was important to the Jews that graves were marked clearly. So that people would know, I don't need to step there or I will be contaminated. And he says, you're like an unmarked grave. People don't realize it, but by coming to you, they're actually becoming unclean. You're infecting other people and they think that you're the ones that actually have it all together. The religious hypocrisy of the Pharisees, ignoring what's going on in their hearts, ignoring their heart issues, and the sin on the inside grieves Jesus. And the reason it grieves Jesus is He had come to deal with our sin. He didn't come just to say you need to get your act together. He came to actually deal with our sin. Not just to make us look clean, But to actually make us clean from inside and out. He came to give us a new heart. And He's going to do that by dying for us. The Old Testament speaks of a coming new covenant that God is going to make His people. In Jeremiah 31, we see the description, one of the descriptions of this. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. The Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, the Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So the prophet Jeremiah looking ahead to the day that God's going to make a new covenant with His people. And God's gonna write His law on their hearts. The idea of like the desires of God actually being on the inside of us and working their way out, changing us from the inside. And He will forgive His people for their sins. And He says, and I will be their God. They will be my people. We will be together. And that is looking ahead to what Jesus Christ was going to accomplish when He came and He died on the cross. So you remember, we've talked about this, Christ was perfectly faithful, perfectly obedient, did everything that was required of God's people. And then He died on the cross for us, taking the punishment that we deserve, so that if we would believe in Him... He would give us a new heart. We would be forgiven. And Jesus speaks about these words and reminds His disciples that the new covenant was coming. This is right before His crucifixion. Right before He dies for our sins. He takes the Lord's Supper with them. And in Matthew 26, starting in verse 27, then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant's come. The one that was promised has come. The rescuer has come. It's going to take the punishment so that you can receive the forgiveness that God wants. And so in this new covenant, Jesus came to give us a new heart. Give us a heart that actually desires to honor God. Not just outside performance. Not just, I'll look good, I'll look the part. But to actually start to change us from the inside. So that we can honor God. So we don't have to live a life of pretending anymore. Jesus came for that purpose. And because of the finished work of Jesus, we can actually live out lives for God's glory. So have you actually, this is an important question for us, have you actually received the new heart? that Christ came to give? Have you received the new heart that Jesus is providing to you by believing in Him? That's all it takes is putting your trust in Jesus, believing in Jesus, knowing that I can't do this on my own and God in His kindness has provided a Savior for me who has done it for me. if you have already received that new heart by putting your faith in Christ, it's important for us, church, to ask, what areas am I tempted towards religious hypocrisy? Because it's a temptation that we can all fall into at different times. What areas am I trying to look the part while ignoring other things that God desires for me? And if you have not received a new heart in Christ, that's the most important thing for you today. So let's examine ourselves with that in mind, that our Savior Jesus came to give us a new heart. The second truth back in Luke is this. Jesus came to free us from the burden of the law. Jesus came to free us from, from the burden of the law. And so the second type of religious hypocrisy that Jesus is going to address here is that of legalism. The burden of legalism on a life and on the lives of others. And so Luke eleven forty-five to 54 one of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. Then he said, Woe also to you, experts in the law. You load people with burdens that are too hard to carry, and yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. You build tombs for the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Therefore, you are witnesses that you approve of the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their monuments." Because of this, the wisdom of God has said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible Woe to you, experts in the law. You have taken away the key to knowledge. You didn't go in yourselves, and you hindered those who were trying to go in. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely and to cross-examine him with many things. They were lying in wait for him to trap him in something that he said. So an expert in the law, this would have been one of the scribes, uh, an expert in the law speaks up after Jesus has kind of rebuked the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and says, you know, that insults us too. Now, the scribes, the experts in the law, were the ones who had studied intently, deeply what the law said. And then they're the ones over time who had built up the regulations around the law. of, This is how you can fulfill that. This is what that means. And you can't do this. And you have to do this. And you must do it this way. They provided all of these extra expectations on the people that were actually a burden. And when Jesus spoke the words about, you know, you're worried about this ritualistic cleansing you're worried about doing something on the outside and you're ignoring what's going on in the inside and the scribe thinks, well, we're the people who came up with that rule of how to cleanse yourself. We're the ones who helped people figure that out. So, Jesus, you're insulting us. Might would have been better for him to not say that, because now he's going to really speak to the scribe specifically about the hypocrisy that's going on in his life and the scribe's lives as a whole. And so he has three woes for the scribes. And the first of those is you have burdened my people with rules and regulations that the law was never intended to do. You have weighed people down in a way that God does not desire. And not only that, you've perverted what the law says, but not only that, you do nothing to actually help people. You've burdened them with something that they could never do and then you don't lift a finger to actually help them try to live under that burden. And so, woe to you, scribes, for burdening my people with rules and regulations that God has never desired, God never intended. And then the second of those is you also are trying to look the part. You're trying to look like you care about the things of God. And so he references, you know, scribes, you've worked really hard to build these monuments for the prophets that your ancestors killed. The, the messengers that God had sent to the people and they killed them. And you build up these beautiful monuments and you make it look like you care about the things of God. But in reality, you're just like your ancestors. And he goes on to say, and that's why God has said, I'm going to send these people prophets too. And I'm going to send these people apostles. And they are going to do the exact same thing that their ancestors did. They're going to kill the people that God has sent to them. And he says, you're going to face the judgment. You're going to face the punishment for all of them because you're doing the exact same thing. And not only that worse, you're rejecting the promised one. They're rejecting Jesus, the Son of God that had been promised. He says, you're going to be responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been taken throughout history. And then third, woe in verse 52. This has to uh, really strike a nerve for the scribes. For someone who has studied so much for someone who has worked to really know the law of God and really understand what the law of God says, you don't really know it. You don't really know the law of God. And not only that, you are hindering other people from knowing the truth about God. You've taken away the key of knowledge. You've made it impossible for people to really know who their God is because of this hypocrisy of burdening people with things that God never intended. And so, Jesus' woes to the scribes and to the Pharisees really proved to be right because when He leaves... Their hearts are revealed. When he leaves for trying to call them out of the religious hypocrisy that he had come to set them free from, it says in verse 53 and 54 that they are now going to be even more opposed to Jesus. They're lying in wait, setting traps for Jesus, constantly trying to trap him in some way and other uh In other places in the Gospels, uh, it references that the, the purpose of those traps is so that they can kill Him. They want to find some way to prove that Christ isn't who He really is so that they can kill Him. And so their hearts are hardened and have been revealed. They are fiercely opposed to Jesus. And Jesus expresses His sorrow over the coming judgment that they're going to face because of their hardened hearts. He had come to set people free, the scribes and everyone else. He had come to set them free from the burden of the law. Not one of us could keep the law of God perfectly. Not one of us could honor God fully with our lives. And so what Jesus did is He lived perfectly for His entire life. And then willingly died in our place so that if we would just believe in Him, we would be forgiven. He would take our punishment and we would receive His perfect righteousness, His perfect obedience. He came for that purpose. He doesn't want us burdened down. That's why in Matthew... He says these words, Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you have an idea of church and religion and God's expectation of you as being one of a burden that there's, you're never going to live up to, know that Jesus did not want you to think of your relationship with God as a burden that you could never attain. He came to free you from that burden. He says, just come to me. I will provide the obedience. Just come to me and you can rest. You don't have to live your life with this struggle of, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to cut it. And you certainly don't have to put a facade and pretend like you're something that you're not. Jesus wants to free us from the burden of the law. And not only that, that doesn't mean that we just can live lives however we want, but not only has He freed us from the burden of the law, but God, in His kindness, has given us His Spirit. The Spirit of God working in us. If we have believed in Jesus, we have the Spirit of God working in us to produce the obedience that God desires in the men's uh, Bible study just recently wrapped up going through Galatians. And Paul wrote that letter over the issue of legalism. right? The people burdening down others with the law. And so in Galatians 5, I'm not going to read... The, the, the whole chapter talks about these things. I'm just going to read a few of the verses. Galatians 5.1, we see this. For freedom... Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then skipping down to verse 13, for you were called to be free. Brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but to serve one another through love. And then to 16, I say then, walk by the Spirit. And you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. Jesus set us free. And Galatians 5.1 says He did that so we would be free. He wants that for us. He doesn't want us burdened down with this. This idea of I've got to work really hard or God's not going to approve of me. Jesus came and died for us so that we didn't have to think I've got to I've got to do enough for God to love me. Not so that we would do whatever we want after trusting in Christ. But so that we wouldn't have to think of it as this is how I'm made right with God. And we can start letting the spirit of God actually change us, change us and give us the like help us live in this new life, help us live with this new heart that's desiring to honor God. The problem for us is we often slip back into thinking this is how God must approve of me. I'm I'm killing it today. God must be really happy with my behavior today. I love how Jared Wilson speaks about the good news of the Gospel. And he says, the Gospel does not demand get to work. It announces it is finished. Christ's final words on the cross. It's finished. And so the good news of the Gospel isn't, okay, I've, I've done what's necessary to get you saved, but now you've got to work really hard to make sure that you stay saved. That's not the message of the good news of the Gospel. That wouldn't be good news. The good news is the work's finished. Christ did everything that was necessary for your salvation. And you can just receive that if you would believe in Him. So do you have a performance-based view of faith? One where either you burden yourself thinking I'm, I'm really trying to make sure God loves me. Uh, I'm really trying to, to show God how good I am. Or maybe a performance-based view of faith where you're burdening down others with expectations that God never intended for them. That was never God's desire for us to be burdened by His expectations. And that's why He sent His Son, Jesus, as our Savior. And that's why He's given us His Spirit, if we've trusted in Jesus, is to help us follow in obedience. To help us live out the life that God is calling us to. If you haven't accepted Christ today, If you have not trusted in Jesus for your salvation, would you believe in Him today? And if you would, God's Word says He will give you a new heart. He will start to actually change you. You'll be forgiven. You'll be adopted as a son and daughter of God. No more putting on a performance. No more putting on a face to look like you've got it all together while ignoring other things going on in your life. We can just rest in Him. And you would be able to do that if you would believe in Him. And church, as we assess ourselves in this, let's ask ourselves, are we really resting in the finished work of Jesus? Are we really resting in that? Are we also relying on the Spirit of God to change us into the people that God wants us to be? We're not left on our own to try harder. We've got the Spirit of God working to change us. And so are we relying on the Spirit of God to produce in us these desires that God has for us? Or are we just trying to score some religious points so that maybe God will say, well, they did enough good. That's not His intent for us. So let's rest in Jesus and let's rely on the Holy Spirit to empower us to live the way that God desires us to live. We can do that for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your love and care. We thank You for Your Word. God, help us recognize areas that we are tempted towards or that we are actually walking in hypocrisy. God, for anyone who is here today who has not received the new heart that Christ has come to give, I pray that they will realize their need for Jesus. And God, for your church, thank you for your patience with us. Keep shaping us into the people you want us to be so that we can live our lives for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned at the beginning of our uh, sermon, we will have communion today. If you've not picked up the communion elements and you are a follower of Jesus, we ask that you pick those up off the back table. Parents, if you have children in the nursery, we would like you to get them picked up now so that our nursery workers can come in and be a part of our communion time and we can have the whole church together. And as parents are going to pick up children from the nursery, what I would ask is let's take a few moments to pray. Let's take a few moments to reflect on what Jesus has done, that He came and died for our sins, and that we've been forgiven through Him. And that if, there's a, if there's a need for confession, if there's a need to say, God, I've been walking in disobedience this week or this morning or this month. Confess that and ask that He will help you remember the forgiveness that you've been given in Christ. Kathy's going to play for us for a few moments to allow us time to pray and reflect on... uh, on our time of communion and the forgiveness we have uh, in Jesus. And after she plays for a little bit, Cody's going to come up, Cody Walker's going to come up and lead us in our communion message today.
1: As we uh, get ready to take communion, just thinking over uh, pastor's sermon today about um, the two people groups that he called out in Jesus' day, those were like the top people in the church. Those, those are the people that would have been seen as closest to God, the Pharisees and the people that knew the law, and Jesus calls them out, um, and I don't know about you, but I don't consider myself to be the closest to God. And if they got it wrong, um, how easy is it for us to also get it wrong? And so I I really am thankful that God sent Jesus. Um, In uh, 252, when we we talk about the Israelites, um, I say that their their whole structure of the Old Testament is like a roller coaster. Um, They go through highs where they're honoring God and they're close with God, And everything's going good for them. And then they're like, ooh, look at us. We got this. And then it tanks. And someone comes in and takes over because they took their focus off of God. And then they cry out to God. God, we need your help. God provides for them. They get back up on a high. And then they're like, ooh, we got this. We don't need God. And then they tank. And it's just a continual thing because for them in the Old Testament, it was about the law and what they were able to do. But for us, as Pastor mentioned this morning, it's Jesus. It's nothing that we do, which I'm so thankful because the sins that I commit, there's no way that I could be with God, that I could have a relationship with God because he's perfect and he's holy. But because of Jesus, I'm a new creation. And as he was talking about his points today, I thought of Second um, Corinthians, where Paul's talking to the um, Corinthians and in chapter 5, um, starting in verse 16. He says, From now on, then we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So, to piggyback off of what the pastor said, the the most religious people got it wrong. But, according to Paul and according to Jesus, it's not anything we do. It's from, everything is from God. It's from God. God is the reason that we're able to be with him. Because he sent Jesus. He did it through Christ, it says. And it says we no longer see it through a worldly perspective. So the Pharisees, who wanted that outward appearance, how many times do we want to look good? Oh, look and see, I did this. Look, I did this, but it's the inside, this pastor said. And also, for smarts, look at how much I know. Again, those are worldly things. And Paul's saying we don't know anything from a worldly perspective anymore. Even if the people there knew Jesus when he was alive on earth, they're like, it's not the same. You don't know him as that person. He's the Savior now. He's the Savior. Your heart is changed. You have been reconciled. You have been saved because of God. So as we take that, that I, I really like that this morning of it's it's Jesus. Because how many times are we like the Pharisees and how many times are we like the scribes where we think, oh, I look good, ooh. I know all this stuff, I must be good, but it's not that, uh, because we'll never measure up. It's through Jesus. So um, as we get ready to take, um, I'll read from Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28, which pastor did read this morning, but I'll read that again. He says, it says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take and eat it, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he gave and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many of the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing to him, they went up to the Mount of Olives. All right, so as you uh, take your bread, so remember this is his... Um, representative of Jesus' body. So, you'll take your bread. This is the body of Christ given for you. And taking the cup. This is the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. God, I just want to come to you and um, thank you for allowing us um, to have a chance to have a relationship with you and to be with you and to know you through Jesus. Thank you for sending him um, the perfect um, sacrifice um, to be our Savior. I pray that um, as we reflect on um, communion, that we'll remember the greatness and faithfulness that you have um, towards us. In your name I pray. Amen.
0: All right, guys. What a great service.